You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2021 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. So I used to be an atheist, and at the age of 22, the Lord really changed my life, and I actually was going to commit suicide, and before I did that, I wanted to study the Bible to prove that there was truly no God. And I began to study the Bible, and at the same time, my uncle gave me a set of Amazing Facts study guides. He was the only Seventh-day Adventist in my family. And he came into the church through a series, a public evangelism series in uh, my little home church a number of years ago. It was by Amazing Facts. And, you know, people today, they like to say, well, you know, public evangelism just doesn't work. But I wouldn't be here, and you'd be listening to somebody else if it wasn't for public evangelism. How many of you came into the church in some capacity connected to public evangelism? All right, that's like more than half the room, or at least half the room. And so, um, very, very uh, exciting to see public evangelism still works. Amen? And the last couple of series we've done, we had thousands of people coming into our churches because they wanted to hear a message. All right, so we're going to talk about atheism. And today, we're going to talk about what God's answer is for atheism. Did you know that the rise of atheism is, re, is a prophecy in the Bible? And many atheists think that they're, you know, they have these, these ideas and these concepts that are new. The fact is that they're not new. And the concept of atheism was predicted before it even happened. And so you know, a lot of Christians today are very scared of atheists because they say, oh, they're so intellectual. Well, if you know how to ask the right questions... I've had, I've had hardcore atheists sit across from me with a blank stare on their face because they didn't know how to answer the question that I asked them. And so I'll share with you some of those things this week as well. And so um, I, I love atheists. In fact, I've studied with many of them and baptized many of them into the Adventist church, and that was through the grace of God. But the reality is that most atheists are just simply looking for answers. They want to know that something is real and purposeful and meaningful. And they want to have some level of intelligent evidence. And the truth is, there's a lot of intelligent evidence for Christianity. I want to share with you before we start a, a famous text that you're all familiar with. You probably, most of you probably have it memorized. It's in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. What's the significance of Hebrews chapter 11? It's the faith chapter. And... Uh, I want to share you something that, that most people don't think about when they read this text. Okay, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. The Bible says, Now faith is the substance of things what? The evidence of things not seen. So what many people think faith is, is a whole bunch of stuff that you can't see, that you can't feel, that you can't touch, and it's just pie in the sky. You understand? You see, what I, you know what I'm talking about. It's just this belief, this is hope. And many times atheists think that that hope is a weak thing. But I want you to look closely at the text. It says faith is the what? Substance of things hoped for. The what? 
evidence of things not seen. In other words, what we build our hope on that we can't see is built by those things which we can see, the substance and the evidence. And there is plenty of both, as we're going to see this week. Does that make sense? So that's a powerful text. But we're not building our hope on cunningly devised fables, as the Apostle Peter says, but we have substance and evidence on which to build our faith. And that is very exciting. Amen? How many of you have substance and evidence in your life that God is true? I mean, I suppose if you were to compile all of the stories and so forth uh, in the world, I mean, how can you explain some of these things? So anyway, that's... um, just a little intro, and we're going to dive in here. This topic today is going to be pretty intense. You'll have to kind of follow, you'll have to pay extra attention to follow along. It's not like, it's not like the 2300-day prophecy by any means, okay? But it, there is a pretty good logic to it, and you need to trail the whole thing to get it in the end. But the rest of the week won't be like that as much, Okay. So if you leave here today and you're like, whew, I want to go to one of these other easier seminars, just come back tomorrow, all right? It'll be better. But it'll be good. And you'll see what's going to happen is that at the end, it's all just going to come together in one place. And you're going to be like, whoa, that was intense, but powerful. Okay? So let's have prayer. Father in heaven, what a joy it is to be in your presence. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have to gather here and study your word. We pray that You would open our hearts and our minds to Your sacred truth and that Your Spirit would come and be our teacher today, that we recognize that we have nothing good in ourselves, but we recognize that all good is in You. But the good news is, as You are a master of taking that which is not good and making it that which is good. And we claim that promise today. And we ask Your blessing upon each one. Help us to be able to track and understand. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So it's very interesting that I just wrote a paper. I had a world religions class. I'm working on my master's degree. And we had to write a paper on religion. And so I chose atheism. And I found this statistic to be very alarming. In the year 1900, there were, it was estimated that there were about 100 million atheists in the world Okay, in the year 1900. By the year 2000, there's an estimated, um, what was it, I think 300 million. And then by the year 2020, there's an estimated 5 to 750 million atheists in the world today. That's a mind-blowing statistic. That number just continues to increase. And the interesting thing is that in 1900, when there was 100 million atheists, it was following the French Revolution that took place in the 1700s, right? And like, it was like 95% of the atheists of the world lived, guess where? In Europe, right? In France and, and surrounding Europe. But by the time you get to like the year 2000 and 2020, only like 7% of the world's population of atheists lived in Europe. So what does that mean over the course of time? It has increased numerically and geographically. That's very interesting. And it's a growing, I mean, you have roughly like 1 billion, uh, I think it's 1 billion, is it Catholics or Christians in the world? One or the other. But nonetheless, I mean, the, the number of atheists are growing. 
And so where did atheism come from? Uh, let me just check something here. Yeah, I, this is my short version, which is good because we need that amount of time. But I wanted to, uh, I wanted to say something as well. There are a number of organizations that are being formed by atheists, like the Coalition of Reason, um, the uh, various humanitarian groups that are forming, and I think it's very interesting. I'll, I'll say more about this later in the week. But there are people who are they're organizing themselves, kind of like churches do, and they're going. I'm not going to say that today because I don't want to ruin. It. I'll say it later in the week. But they are organizing themselves much in the way that Christians have and doing humanitarian work, which is good. And the point is that they want everybody to know that you, don't, you can be good without God. And that's the, the whole point of the thing. It's a, very, it's a very interesting dynamic, which we'll talk more about later. But let's talk a little bit about where did the rise of atheism come from. Well... In the 17, late 1700s, we know that uh, the French Revolution took place. And there was a gentleman named Paul Baron de Holbach who was the first open atheist in France. Now, if you, do, if you do research, you find that there were atheistic uh, philosophers all the way back since ancient times. And what's an interesting pattern is that people weren't necessarily rejecting the concept of God, but what they were rejecting was the concept of corrupt, organized religion. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, is there? <laughs> nothing wrong with rejecting that. And so, the first open atheist, the first open atheist really in the world was taking place in France. For some reason, France has had a pretty challenging track record. Um, but in the late 1790s, during that French Revolution, there was something formed called the Cult of Reason. And we'll talk more about that, but churches were turned into temples of reason, and many churches were closed uh, from the Mass. Karl Marx, how many of you know who Karl Marx is? He's the founder of uh, modern-day communism and, and many other things. But he made this statement, Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world, and the soul of soulless conditions, it is the opium of the people. In other words, he said that religion is a drug to help weak people cope through life. And uh, that's really oftentimes a thing stated today as well. Now we're just going to do a little bit of prophetic history, about three minutes worth. Okay, This is stuff that you probably already know. But what was significant about the year 1798? All right, the Pope was taken captive by Napoleon. Um, and prior to that, we know that there's a prophecy about the rise of the papal church in Europe, correct? And Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them. And there in, the, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. And we know who that power is. It's the papacy. It's the Roman Catholic Church. Now, what I want to propose to you today is that the birth of modern atheism is a product of corrupt Christianity. Did you catch that? The birth of modern atheism is a product of corrupt Christianity. Okay, And you're going to see that with your own eyes right here. 
So we know that the Roman church took power in 538 A.D. and their power was ended when? 1798. Now, for me, this prophecy right here, and I don't, well, I won't have time to unpack it. You all know this prophecy well, but Adventists, I find, take this prophecy completely for granted. They're like, oh yeah, do we have to really hear this again? But for me, coming from an atheistic background, it was mind-blowing to me. Because when was this prophecy written? Somewhere like right here, right? Where was it written? Way back over here. It was written way back over here by John. And then, because it's in the book of Revelation, and then it was written a little bit further back by who? By Daniel. And Daniel made this prediction. John made this prediction. They both saw the same prophecy. And this prophecy is being fulfilled thousands of years after it was stated to the letter. Now, 1260 years, that's a pretty common everyday number, isn't it? No, it's not. It's not even. It's not common. It's not anything. It's a very odd, quirky number. And yet, that's exactly when they wrote the prophecy. It was fulfilled exactly as they said it was. And there were even biblical scholars who understood this prophecy before it happened, and they said the power of the papacy is going to be broken in 1798. We don't know how or what, but something's going to happen because we've done our calculations and we see it. So to me, this is one of the most incredible prophecies for the validity of the Bible because it happened exactly how it said. And it's too specific for any scholar or any atheist to say, oh, that's kind of vague. We can't really be sure. No, we can be sure. We can be sure. Not mostly sure, not confidently sure, but absolutely sure. And so it's mind-blowing to see that. So the Roman church took power and their power was broken in 1798. Now, I'll say more about that here in just a little bit. But the Bible tells us that He cast truth to the what? Ground. He did all of this and what? Prospered. So let me share with you briefly some of the false teachings of the church during the Dark Ages. I'm going to see if I might have to click on all these, and I think I'm going to. It's going to be a little bit lagged because it's pulling it off the internet, as I mentioned before, because I lost my files. I thank the Lord that this one was preserved online. But I want you to look at these. You can start thinking of these, about these now. I want you to tell me, what is it about all of these beliefs, what do all these false beliefs have in common? There's one common thread that weaves through every one of them. Does anybody know what it is? Well, the papacy, they, they did it. Okay, that's... that's Right on the track of this. That's very good. Say again. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you're very close. Huh? I can get myself to heaven. Very good. Somebody said something. Okay, they're not biblical. You're all, you're all right around it, and you all tapped into a piece of it. But all of these false doctrines have to do with the character of who? Of God. When you believe certain things, when you believe I can do it myself, when you believe that if I don't do it myself, what's God going to do to me? He's going to burn me. When I believe that, that other people can get me out of 
purgatory. When I believe that God is limited to something that I create, instead of, instead of having the beautiful understanding that God created me, well, I can create God. Are you with me? When you believe all of these things, you have an image of God that's what? Very, very compromised. Yes or no? Alright? And it leads people to view God as we view other men. Sinful, corrupt, and wicked. Right? Alright. So, during this time period of 538 to 1798, over a thousand years, the truth of God was what? It was lost. It was lost just like it was with the Israelites when they went into Egypt. And people began to believe a false picture of who God was. And that changed uh, who they, how they liked Him, right? And so if people are ingrained with something for over a thousand years, is it going to have an impact on them? Yes, right? So during this time, the truth was lost, and which led to God being misrepresented, which led to an, a, a wrong concept of His character, and it led ultimately in the French Revolution to a rejection of God and the acceptance of human reason. Okay? So here's what happened. The papacy was cruel, they were, they were corrupt, and the people saw that. And eventually, they got to a place during the French Revolution where they said, enough is what? Is enough. And we're done with this. If this is what God is like, then we don't want to have anything to do with it. Are you with me? And they just stood up and they rejected. So the French Revolution and the rejection of God was a sure result of the misrepresentation of God by the Catholic Church during the Dark Ages. So let me show you this from the, uh, from the book, The Great Controversy. Notice this. This comes from The Great Controversy, page 281 to 282. The only God they knew was the God of Rome. Her teaching was their only religion. They regarded her greed and cruelty as the legitimate fruit of the Bible, and they would have none of it. Isn't that interesting? Rome had misrepresented the character of God and perverted His requirements, and now men rejected both the Bible and its author. She had required a blind faith of her dogmas under the pretended sanction of the Scriptures. Isn't that fascinating? So here you have exactly what I just told you written in the book, that the church so misrepresented Him, and people were so fed up that it led to rebellion. What happens if you are over, too overbearing on your children when they're growing up. You only let them eat carrots and they only can, you know, they're just, you, what happens if you keep pushing somebody in the corner? You just keep pushing and pushing and slapping them in the head and punching them. And what, what happens? They're going to come back eventually and they're going to nail you to the other side of the room, aren't they? Because people can only take so much. And they thought, God has all these requirements and all these dogmas and all these rules and all these things. And people eventually said, while at the same time, the priests and the popes were living like kings at the, on, off the backs of the people. And they're finally like, this is enough. We're done with this, right? And so they rejected. 
Notice she continues here. Rome had ground down the people under her iron heel, and now the masses, degraded and brutalized, in their recoil from her tyranny, cast off all what? Restraint. Enraged at the glittering cheat to which they had so long paid homage, they rejected truth and falsehood together, and mistaking license for liberty, the slaves of vice exalted and their imagined freedom. So what did they do? They, 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 it was a backlash against corrupt Christianity. And they threw out the baby with the bathwater. Right? So, let's keep going here. So ultimately, it led to an outright rejection of God through the age of enlightenment and reason during the French Revolution, which led to the birth of modern atheism. So the age, as history calls it, the age of enlightenment, the age of reason, was not really where we just all of a sudden got smarter. It's where we, as a, as a world, as a people of the world, rejected religion. Very, very interesting. Now, this is very fascinating. Uh, a lot of people have not seen this, so I, want you, <laughs> I don't want you to miss this. Uh, don't read it yet. What happens is you, you're sitting there reading it, and, and I'm trying to tell you something. Well, the president or the directory of France, when, when Napoleon was preparing to overthrow Rome, the president of France wrote him a letter, and notice what it says here. Watch this. The Roman religion will always be the bitter enemy of the Republic. It must be struck in France. It must be struck in Rome. That is, he's saying, what do I mean by that? That is to destroy, if possible, the center of the unity of the Roman church. And it is for you who unite in your person the most distinguished qualities of the general to realize this aim. What's he doing here? He's giving him a pep talk. He's saying the one thing that stands between us and global domination is this filthy lucre called Rome. And you, sir, are the one, you are the man of this hour to rid the world of this corruption. Very fascinating, isn't it? Now, we know what happened. What happened? In 1798, he sent his general in. They captured the Pope. Now, I want you to, <laughs> I want you to notice this, friends. Do not miss this point at all. They thought that they were getting rid of religion. They thought that they were putting an end to this thing called God. When in fact, all they were doing was fulfilling Bible prophecy. Are you with me? So their attempt to get rid of the God of heaven established one of the most incredible evidences for His existence in that 1260-year prophecy. Do not think for any minute that you can rid yourself of God. For the Scripture says, if I go into heaven, He's there. If I go into the depths of the grave, He's there. The highest mountain, the deepest ocean, everywhere in between, all through the universe, God is there. And ultimately, His will will be fulfilled. Whether it's by people who hate Him and deny Him, or people who love Him and adore Him, His will is going to be fulfilled. Amen? So the very thing they tried to get rid of gave the most credible evidence for His existence. And you can say amen to that. Now go with me to the book of Revelation. If you have your Bibles with you, to the book of Revelation, I hope you do. Revelation chapter 11. And this is the chapter 
that contains the prophecy about atheism in modern times. Okay, Revelation chapter 11 and verse, we're going to start for, with verse, uh, verse 2. Well, we'll start in verse 1. Then it was given a reed like a measuring rod, and, and an angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Does that time period sound familiar? That's the 1260 days. I could say more about 1 and 2, but, but we don't have time. But just know, know that it's talking about, verse 1 and 2, this period of the Dark Ages. And the Gentiles, can, would, who do you think that would be? Well, it's the non-converted. It's Rome, essentially. But notice verse 3. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in what? Sackcloth. Why are they clothed in sackcloth? They're being suppressed. They're mourning. They're being oppressed, right? And oftentimes, in ancient times, the slaves, they would take their clothes and give them sackcloth, and they would force them to do whatever. So they're being oppressed. So when the Bible says that they would be witnesses for 1,260 days, we know that that time period, it's referring to that time period, right? The 538 to 1798, when Rome was in power. So who are the two witnesses? Go on now, Adventists. You ought to know this. Huh? It's the Old and the New Testament, right? It's the Bible. Was the Word of God still shining even, even though it was wearing sackcloth? Was it still proclaiming? Yes or no? It was. It was there, wasn't it? Through the, the Waldenses had it, and then later Luther had it, and many others had it. So it was still there. It was guiding the church through the wilderness, right? So we know that time. Now I want you to notice here in verse 7, we'll come, we'll come back to verses 4 and on here in a minute, but look at verse 7. When they finish their testimony, so it says when they finish their testimony, it's, but it says that they would give a testimony for 1,260 days. So that phrase, when they finish their testimony, would be what time period? The late 1700s, right? Because that's the end of the 1260, right? It says, when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. That's interesting, isn't it? So which beast is this? What does a beast represent? It represents a kingdom or a nation. So could this beast, you know, we have other beasts in Revelation chapter 13. Could this beast be the United States? Yes or no? Why not? Well, we existed in 1790s. We were coming into power. There you go. The Bible says that the second beast in Revelation 13 that comes up from the earth rises like a what? Like a lamb. I don't see a lamb coming up out of the bottomless pit, do you? So it's not the U.S., maybe it's, the, maybe it's Rome then. Would it be Rome? No? Why? Because Rome, at, in 1790s and 1798, instead of coming up out of the pit, what were they doing? They were receiving a mortal wound and they went down, right? So this has to be another 
nation. We know the time period, right? We know the events. Let's see what nation historically was causing problems for the Bible around the late 1700s. Okay? It's very simple. All you have to do is look into history. Very fascinating. November 24th, 1793. You can look this up in history. French, the French Assembly, or in other words, the French legislature as a nation, passed a law that abolished Christianity as the national religion and cast aside or outlawed the Bible as the Word of God. So this was one of the crowning effects or crowning acts in the French Revolution was that the national government assembled. It'd be like our United States Conference, uh, Congress assembling together in Washington, D.C., proposing a bill that outlawed Christianity and the Bible and then voted unanimously to pass it. It'd be the same effect. And then the president would sign it into law. That's exactly what France did. Never before in the history of the world, the modern world, had a nation through their government voted to reject God and, and, and Christianity and the Bible. Never happened before. All the world was watching in awe while this was happening. So, do you think that France might be able to fulfill that beast power? What do you think? Nothing else happened at that time. Uh, similar to that. So it definitely has to be France. Now, notice this. This comes from uh, this history book here, Christianity and the French Revolution. On the request of Chalmet, it was decreed that all the churches and chapels of every religion and sect which exist in Paris shall be closed forthwith. You thought, you thought COVID-19 was bad, right? Yeah. We, I, I, I mean... The governor of Michigan didn't do anything to force the churches in any capacity. She said the churches can choose for themselves what they want to do, right? But here you have the government saying every door is closed. And anyone who asks for their reopening should be arrested as a suspicious person. So if you protested that in any form or fashion, off to jail with you. You can imagine what the Christians we're facing. From Blackwood's Magazine, this was a common magazine back in the day. Um, they just wrote on a number of, of happenings in the world, kind of like a news magazine, like Time Today or whatever. This is what was written in 1870 about these events. France is the only entity in the modern history of the world that as a nation lifted her hand in open rebellion against the author of the universe. Plenty of blasphemers, plenty of infidels there have been and still continue to be in England, Germany, Spain, and elsewhere, but France stands apart in the world's history as the single state which, by the decree of her legislative body, you understand this was written in the 1800s, they had a lot of run-on sentences, pronounced that there was no God and of which the entire population of the capital and a vast majority elsewhere, women as well as men, danced and sang with joy in accepting the announcement. So once the legislative body pronounced that there was no God, and they voted it, and they voted to close the churches and burn the Bibles, what did the people do? They danced a little jig in the streets. Now take a look at your Bibles in verse 8. 
it says, And their dead bodies, the two witnesses, will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. That's France. Where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies. Three and a half days. We'll come back to that in a minute. And not allow their dead bodies to be put in the graves. In other words, they wouldn't let it rest. They wouldn't let it cease. They were celebrating. Now notice this. <laughs> Verse 10. And those who dwell in the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another. What, what was happening here? <laughs> Think that's a fulfillment? Oh yeah. Because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. How do they torment them? I've never met, I've ne it always never ceases to amaze me that atheists are so angry at a God they don't believe in. So angry with Him. It's my personal belief that a person has a, has a freedom to choose whatever they want to believe. If they want to be an atheist, I'm going to respect that right. I'm not angry with people because they're an atheist. I'm not angry with people because they're Muslim or they're Buddhist or they're agnostic or whatever. I'm not angry with them. Now, I'm going to try to convince them of the truth. As a Christian, I believe it's my duty. But if they reject that, I still love them and I'm so sorry. But I, I meet so many of my atheistic friends who are angry with Christians. Now, now, let me tell you that many Christians are the, at fault because of that, because they act obnoxiously, okay? And they act like fools, and they have unchristian spirits. And so some of that anger is justified, okay? But it amazes me that people are so angry with a God they don't believe in. Why? Because the Word of God brings conviction to the life. It brings conviction to the heart when I... When my heart and my life are not in harmony with God, there's something that's always pulling on me. There's always, it's always something that's moving on me to be in harmony with Him. But if I choose to resist that, then I don't have any peace, you understand? And that's often what is happening there. You see what I mean? And so when the Bible says that those two witnesses were tormenting them, it's tor they're tormenting their conscience, <laughs> you see? And they're trying to push that off. But you see how this is fulfillment of Revelation 11. Mind-blowing. Now, watch this. Ver, uh, back to the book, Great Controversy. It says, The nation was left to reap the results of the course which she had chosen. The restraint of God's Spirit was removed from a people that had despised the gift of His grace. Evil was permitted to come into maturity, and all the world saw the fruit of will, the willful rejection of the light. Now, that's fascinating. Because up till that time, even, even those who are the most wicked on, in the world, even the most vile atrocities you can see in the news, though there might be different examples and incidences of this globally, still the Spirit of God, even today, has a restraint on, on evil. Are you with me? Yes. We are not... We are not uh, Oh, there's a Chevy. Is that Malibu? Malibu? What's DEP? Oh, license plate. 20, oh, I'm sorry. DEP 2633. Your window is down. I think it's raining. So if that's you, Chevy Malibu, uh, you may want to do that. 
take care of that. You'll have a nice wet seat when you come in. Be like the Holy Spirit's been in this car raining down. Amen. So this is this is mind blowing. But the Spirit of God has always kept a check on evil, except during certain moments of history. And we know that at the end of time, what's going to happen again? He's going to withdraw from the world, and evil is going to be unrestrained. But in this time, evil was permitted to come to maturity. And let me tell you, friends, the world saw how evil humanity can become during this time period. When we are without Christ, when the love of Christ and the grace of Christ have not transformed our hearts, there is no limit to what the devil can drive us to do. Because there's no restraint. We need the Spirit of God in our lives. Amen? We need the grace and the love of God in our lives to transform our lives. So, because the Bible says the, the, the love of Christ compels us, it restrains us from going those directions. But the world would see this. Now, notice this. It's, it goes back, going back to verse 8, it says, Their bodies will lie in the street of that city which is called spiritually Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So when you go back and you look at the story of Egypt and the Israelites, the exact same thing which had happened in ancient times was being repeated again in modern times. And let me tell you, it's going to be repeated again at the end times. And we're going to see that here in just a minute. But remember this text in Exodus 5, verse 2, Pharaoh of Egypt rejected God when he said, Who is Jehovah that I should listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know Jehovah, and I will not let Israel go. Notice what he says there. I, do, I don't what? I don't know him. In other words, uh, you can also read that I don't acknowledge him. I don't. I don't. I don't um, believe in him. I don't accept his authority over me. I don't accept his love. And so, what was Pharaoh doing? He was essentially proclaiming himself atheist. I, there is. I don't believe in this God. And it's interesting that almost every time that people reject the God of heaven. They automatically begin what? Serving some other God. And we're going to see that in the French Revolution. Notice this from Great Conference. I think we could turn that air on. Are you guys getting warm in here? If you want to do that, we can. Of all nations presented in Bible history, Egypt most boldly denied the existence of the living God and resisted his commands. No monarch ever ventured upon more open and high-handed rebellion against the authority of heaven than did the king of Egypt. Isn't that interesting? This is what, she says, atheism. And the nation represented by Egypt would give voice to a similar denial of the claims of the living God and would manifest a like spirit and unbelief and of unbelief and defiance. Notice what she says here. This prophecy has received a most exact and striking fulfillment in the history of what? France. So what she's saying is that France took the exact same course in modern times as who did? Egypt in ancient times. So you have an ancient nation defying and rejecting God, and you have a modern 
day nation rejecting and defying God. Do you see that? History does what? It repeats itself. Now, remember verse 9 and 10. We read it. Um, if you look there in verse 9, then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their bodies to be put into the graves. During the time of the French Revolution, every inclination of the concept of God was done away with. Everything that could possibly be thought of was gotten rid of. Okay? Bibles were gathered and burned. They had these massive heaps of, of, of any kind of Bible or Christian book that you could get your hands on, which there weren't a lot of Bibles in those days, but whatever they had, they got rid of. They burned them. The worship of God was prohibited. We mentioned that the churches were closed. Uh, marriage unions were dissolved. You notice it said Sodom and Egypt. And so, basically, there was no marriage. There was no husband and wife. So, if you wanted my wife and I wanted your wife, well, we could do that. Or if you wanted to do that together at the same time, we could do that. If I said, I don't like your wife, but I like you, whatever we want to do, it was open and free game at that point. No restriction. You notice how, you notice how the heart of humanity always wants to view God's truths and His his laws as restraining and burdensome. But yet they protect us from some of the most awful results. Are you with me? And the world saw this. The seven-day weekly cycle was replaced because you think about this. How do we get our year? The sun revolves around the earth, right? No. The earth revolves around the sun. How do we get our month? Month, by, by the lunar cycle. How do we get our, our, um, our day? The earth. Where do we get the week? There is no astrological or pattern, nature, pattern of nature that gives us a week. The week comes from creation, from Scripture. Somebody, I don't know exactly who it was, thought about that and they said, wait a minute, we need to create something different for this. So they created a 10-day week. And they said, we're going to have a 10-day week instead of a 7-day, which caused them to refrain from observing the what? Sabbath. You know what started happening? The animals started getting sick. They started rebelling and resisting, going out to work. And everything, the whole rhythm, biorhythms of nature and life just became totally overturned. And people said, man, what's going on here? And so they, they realized that something was amiss. That's because you can't mess with what God has made, you understand? And so everything was done away with, and the people were rejoicing about it. Now I want you to notice this. When they were in the midst of all this, there was this very emotional moment where when they rejected the God of heaven, they embraced what they called the goddess of reason. In other words, the ability for man to think for himself, which ironically, that's what they were trying to establish, but that's what God has always given. Amen? And it was corrupt Christianity that took that away from them. But it's God who's always given it. Amen? Now notice this. It says, so what they did, this is what they did. Don't read it yet. They took, they took a prostitute 
And they dressed her up in these very fancy clothes, made her try to look like a goddess. And they brought her on this little car pulled by horses to the center of the town, and they stood her up on the platform to essentially, for the people to, let's just read it now. The goddess, after being embraced by the president, was mounted on a magnificent car and conducted amid an immense crowd to the cathedral, Notre Dame, to take the place of what? Deity. There she was elevated on the high altar and received the adoration of all present. What's going on here? There you go. How many words about worship do you see in that little historic phrase right there? Goddess, embraced, uh, magnificent, um, you know, there's some other ones there. The deity, elevated, high altar, adoration. So immediately, when humanity rejects the concept of a true God, what do they do? They begin worshiping something else. And, and this woman, this, she was a prostitute, you can read about it in history, that was all dressed up. She was the... She was like the, um, the symbol of what they were really worshiping. And what was she the symbol of? The goddess of reason. She was just a figurehead, just like because, you know, with Catholic beliefs, they were used to having something to look at, right? The, yeah, the Mary or, or, or the crucifixes or whatever. They were used to having these things to look at. So they're looking at her. But really what, the, what they were striving to worship was human intellect. So understand this, that when we leave conscientiously, we make a conscious decision by our daily choices, if we do that, to, to leave our relationship with God, our, our interaction with God, we will immediately be drawn to something that is a counterfeit. Immediately, every time. And what people do is they, they justify it. They say, well, you know, I couldn't do this in the church, but now I'm free to do this. And so we're immediately justifying that. See? And this is what they're doing. They're getting public acknowledgement and acceptance of this. But it's very fascinating that the thing you're they were trying to escape is the very thing that they embraced in just a different way. You can't, you can't, you can't outrun the Lord. Amen? So there was a number of statements made. Oops, sorry. And for some reason, I can't go backwards because this online... There we go. God, if You exist, avenge Your injured name. I bid You defiance. You remain silent. You dare not launch Your thunders. Who will after this believe Your existence? This was a statement written in history at the culmination or the climax. But let me ask you a question. Was God being silent? No. No. The very fact that they, that they eliminated the papacy was God speaking loudly to the whole world through the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Understand? Now, don't miss this point. I think this is just incredible. They were angry with God because they, all they knew, all they saw was this corrupt system of the Dark Ages, right? So they're like, we're getting rid of it. We're done with it. 
we're, we're putting it down. And that's what they did, right? <laughs> but God was like, the fact that you're doing this was written so long ago and God was more in harmony with the atheist than He was the professed Christians of the day. Because do you think God wanted justice? I'm sure He did. God always wants justice. In fact, it's not just that He wants justice, but He is justice. But God used the very people who would deny Him to fulfill His justice. And He's done that throughout history. I mean, look, He used the Babylonians to overthrow Jerusalem, didn't He? <laughs> he used pagans to fulfill His will, and He'll do it again if He has to. But God is like, I'm right here with you. I hear you. I hear your cry for justice. And God gave it. He said, I planned, I saw your cries thousands of years ago before you were even born, and I had a plan to fulfill it. And he does the same for us today. Amen? Whatever injustice is taking place in the world today, whether it's famine or hunger or racism or whatever it is, God says, I hear it. And the day I am, <laughs> vengeance is mine, and I will repay. And that's exactly what was happening. So God was speaking in that time more loudly, more vocally than He ever had been before. Well, not maybe not than He ever had been before, but He had in a long time. And the people that studied the Bible understood it. You with me? Now, Ellen White continues. We're almost out of time. It was popery that had begun the work which atheism was completing. The policy of Rome had wrought out those conditions, social, political, and religious, that were hurrying France on to ruin. The problem was, though you can, you can be fulfilling the will of God and still be rejecting Him at the same time. You can fulfill the, word, the will of God and be carried off into ruin. And that's exactly what happened to France. And it can happen to us individually. So the devil was trying to distract the people's minds from the truth of prophecy during the Age of Enlightenment, right when major end-time prophecy was being revealed to the world. So the devil was trying to distract the people's minds through this movement, yes or no? That's what he did, and he tried to get them off base. And we have to try to hurry here. Now, remember Pharaoh said, uh, Who is God? Why should I reject Him? Why should I accept Him? I reject Him. Now, I want you to notice this. Remember I told you that what happened in the French Revolution was a repeat of what happened where? With Israel and Egypt. Now watch this. So when, e when Israel went into Egypt, did they lose God's truth? Yeah, many of them started worshiping. Now Joseph didn't. He maintained. But following that, the people began to accept more and more of the Egyptian culture and their, and their logic and their reason. So they began to lose that. And as a, re as a result, God became misrepresented. They became confused about who God really was because they started to compare Him to the Egyptian gods, right? As a result of that, they developed a wrong concept of God's character, right? Which ultimately led to them rejecting Him and accepting the Egyptian philosophy. Even when God... They, this was so ingrained in them that even when they left Egypt, 
and God was working miracle after miracle to deliver and provide for them, they still said, oh, if we could go back to the flesh pots of Egypt, right? Oh man, what is this, what is this manna compared to the flesh pots of Egypt? I mean, my word. I fear that maybe, hopefully, none of us would say that. But Now watch this. During the Dark Ages, the truth of God's character, the truth of His person, the truth of His Word, was what? It was lost. And God was misrepresented through the church. The people had an image of God that was false because of the action of the church. They developed the wrong concept of His character, which ultimately led them to do what? They rejected Him and embraced human reason. It's a repeat, right? So, notice this. It says in verse 11, Now after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. Entered who? The two witnesses. And they stood on their feet, and great fear fell upon those who saw them. Remember, how was it that they were killed? What happened? Yeah. Yeah, when, when they passed the National Assembly that they would reject the Bible, what happened? It was... It, that was the indication that the two witnesses had been what? Killed. When was that? Does anybody remember? I'll give you a quarter if you remember. Yeah, November 24, 1793, right? Notice what the passage says. After three and a half days, one day equals one literal year. Watch this. Three and a half years later, in April of 1797, the decree issued in 1793 to abolish the Bible was reversed as men saw the terrible effects that it had created. Isn't that incredible? Fulfillment of prophecy right there throughout history. Ellen White writes, Men recognized the necessity of faith in God and His Word as the foundation of virtue and morality. We realized that we, as a human being, cannot be a source of truth and morality. We can't do it. Because we are what? We are sinful, right? And we recognize that we need something higher than ourselves. So after, notice it says, they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. After the effects of the French Revolution, the Great Awakening began to take place. That's why it says, great fear fell on those who saw them. The British Bible Society was formed in 1804, the American in 1816, and foreign missions began to launch rapidly around the globe. Very amazing, yes? And so there was a great awakening. Now, so when the truth had been lost, towards the end of this time, the truth began to be what? Restored. So those, those movements, the American and British Bible societies and so forth, weren't the only movements that took place. What was the other one that was started to happen? You got it. The great Advent movement, when people began to come together to study the prophecies of the Bible, and they began to understand all this. Now you remember the false teachings during the Dark Ages that had been established that really twisted the understanding of the character of God, yes? Right? And that led people to resist God. Now here's a quick side note. How many of you are familiar with deism, right? Deism was, uh, you know, William Miller was a deist and ultimately became a Christian. Deism was popular... In the late 1700s through the mid-1800s, very, very popular. There were lots of deists. It was the religion of the day. 
And here's what deism was. Some of our founding fathers of America were deists. And this is the bottom line of deists. It's people who didn't want to fully reject God, but couldn't accept what they saw in the world and, and, and mix that with the concept that there was truly a just, loving God in the universe. How do, we, how do we put those two pieces together? A good, loving, true God with what we see in the world. How do we mix those together? It's hard to do it. And that's why lots of people became deists because they said, we, it's clear that there has to be a God, but yet at the same time, I don't really understand all of this, so I'm going to believe He's way out there distant from somewhere, and He's not close and personal to us. See? So that gives me an explanation of why things are in the world. So there was a transition time after the French Revolution for some who believed this. Now, what answered, what answered all of that? <laughs> what answered all of this? What gave the answer of the true understanding of God's character through these ideas? Yes, the Bible, but by what means? You go back one chapter in Revelation, you have Revelation chapter 10. And what's Revelation chapter 10 about? Huh? The prophetic rise of who? The Adventist church. Amen? And the Adventist church gave... Some of these are out of order, I apologize. i got to fix that. I say that every time I teach this class. i got to fix that. And then I always forget. Look, all of those things that the church taught that messed up the, character, the image of the character of God in people's minds, the Advent message answers. Are you with me? How do we, how do we reconcile good God, bad world? What's our understanding? The great controversy, right? The great controversy. How do we reconcile that a man could have so much authority over another. Well, really, he doesn't. It's the Scripture. And we don't confess our sins. We confess. There's much more to it than that, but faith in Christ alone, the hope in the resurrection, and there you know, the others as well. And all of the, mess, all of the things that the Advent movement brought to the table could give an explanation to the beautiful character of God. Amen? It's very powerful. Now, we've grown in that even since then. We understand it more deeply even than we did in the early days. But it's very, very powerful that these things are answered. So all of those things that drove people to atheism and a rejection of God, right after God... I mean, God, God spoke through that prophecy of 1798, didn't He? We talked about that. But then God says... For those who are patient and able to listen, here's the answer to all those things. And it was our understanding as Adventists of what the Bible really says. I can say hallelujah. So, what's the bottom line? The timing and rise of the Seventh-day Adventist church was and is God's answer to the movement of modern atheism. And I have studied with so many atheists, so many atheists, 
who when they have a proper understanding of the character of God, they're like, I never saw God like this before. And they become more open to Him. And I'm going to share some of that uh, more later in the week. So let me just wrap up here. And uh, you remember I showed you this a minute ago. I want you to see this. So in in the dark ages, the truth was misrepresented. A rejection of God. That was just a review. But watch this. When Israel comes out of Egypt, what happens? At Mount Sinai, the truth of uh, truth was restored by God at Mount Sinai in what form? The Ten Commandments, right? God's image was revealed through the what? Through the Ten Commandments. But notice what happens here. Satan twists God's truth and leads Israel into false worship through the worshiping of the golden calf. But guess what happens? What does God do? When Moses comes back down, was God's loving character, could, could, should they be able to see that through the Ten Commandments? What do you think? Yeah, the commandments say thou shalt not, but if you flip those around, if it says thou shalt not steal, what God's really saying is thou shalt be honest. When He says Thou shalt not commit adultery. What he's saying is, thou shalt be faithful, right? And so the beauty of love and freedom and, 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 and truth was revealed in the Ten Commandments, right? Satan didn't like that. So notice what happens. When Moses comes down, what does he do? Well, he breaks the Ten Commandments, but he comes down and he draws a big line in the sand. And what does he say? Everybody who's for the Lord, do what? Come over here. Everybody who's not, stay over there. Who came over? The Levites, right? And they said, we didn't, we didn't participate in that, and we're going to follow the Lord. And they came over. And guess what God did for them? He chose them as His priests. He put them in charge of the sanctuary. He put them in charge of music. What kind of music were they doing around the calf? He said, that's a different kind of music that you do when you worship me, right? So he put them in charge of the music and a whole host of other things we could talk about. Now watch this. In the time of the end, the truth was restored through the what? Reformation. The truth about many things. God's image was restored through the Great Awakening. People saw God and they began to worship Him again. Satan begins to counterfeit the truths of God and restores, uh, counterfeits the truths God restores through false spiritual movements, which I'll show you in just a second. But then God does what? Because many of the churches of the day were slowly straying from Him, weren't they? Still people love Him. So God says, another line, I'm going to call out a remnant and I'm going to give them charge of my truth for the last days. And that's where the Adventist church rises up. Now notice this. Movements will be done in just a minute. I told you 10 minutes over, and I'm going to keep to that. (laughs) Movements arising... Those of you that weren't in here yet, we said I'm going to go 10 minutes over, and I'm going to. We're going to make it. Movements arising near or in 1844. Think about this. You have atheism in the 1790s. You have spiritualism with the Fox sisters in 1844. Mormonism. Joseph Smith was killed in 1844, but they, they became explosive. Uh, Darwinism. Darwin 
published his book, The Origin of the Species, in the 1850s, but he started writing it in 1844. Very interesting. Karl Marx met and began the discussions about communism in 1844. The California Gold Rush was in the 1840s, and the Jehovah Witnesses were following later. Now let me ask you a question. Are all of these things happening around 1844 by coincidence, do you think? I don't think so. I want you to notice this. What was going to happen in 1844? Yeah, we know. Christ began His most holy uh, uh, priesthood in the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary. And there was a message to be proclaimed, wasn't there? So what do you suppose the devil is going to do? Just like he did in 1798? He's going to get busy. You got it, sister. He's going to get busy and he's going to try to distract people. And I want you to notice this. For the intel he has something for everybody. Watch this. For the scientific mind, for the thoughtful, intelligent mind, he's got atheism. For people who are enamored by the supernatural, spiritual things, he had the movement of spiritualism. For people who are interesting people, <laughs> Mormonism. But really. Well, I won't say that, but there's other aspects to that that I could say that I won't. But also for the scientific mind, for the thoughtful of intelligence, he had the birth of evolution. For people who desire power and authority, or people who think that you can accomplish true justice and, and utopia on earth, people who are idealists, communism. For people who are hungry for money, what did he have? He had something to distract them. Now think about that. He's got all these categories to distract people, not by coincidence. And then you have the Advent movement. So once again, the devil was trying to divert the world's attention away from the truth. And as a result, most of these false movements have in some way crept into the Christian churches that have often rejected the Bible truth during that time. So, our final, I believe this is our final slide. So from 1844 and after, God restores end-time truth through the Advent movement, yes? God's character is revealed through who in the last days? Through His people. We're told that in Revelation 18. You know, people, many people today reject the Bible as a book. But they respond to the fruits of the Spirit from the Word of God revealed in people, don't they? Acts of kindness and all these kind of things. God's, the people of God will resist false movements and deception in the end, and God's people will be sealed and prepared for the return of Christ. So in the last days, the deception, truth is rejected by churches of Babylon. Truth is twisted by Satan in a massive counterfeit. We've, we read about that in the Spirit of Prophecy. The wisdom of men is accepted over the truth of God, and then the final rejection of God takes place and probation closes. So the movement of atheism is continuing, but it's going to be in different forms, you understand. But ultimately it leads to a rejection of who? God. The bottom line is, anytime you reject the truth of God for your own opinion, it starts you in a course to destruction. Yes? The Bible says, Isaiah 31, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help, 
Egypt is always a symbol in the Scripture of the wisdom of men. Woe to those who go to the Egypt for help and rely on horses and who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are strong, but do not, who do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. Yet He is also wise and will bring disaster and will not call back His words, but will arise against the house of evildoers and against the help, the help uh, of those who work iniquity. Now the Egyptians are what? Men and not God. And their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out His hand, both he who helps will fall and he who helps will fall down. They will perish together. There is only one God, amen? And we need to trust in Him and His Spirit. Let me leave you with this thought. Atheism has taken Christianity almost by force. Young people are leaving the church in droves and moving to atheism. But God was not surprised by atheism. He predicted it before it came into existence. Before the atheists thought about the thought that there was no God, God already said it's going to happen. So if God is not surprised by atheism, how does He answer it? How does He answer it? He answers it through the message of the three angels. Amen? That reveal the truth of His loving, kind character in the last days of earth's history. So what do we need to do? We need to, we need to, we need to follow Christ's method to reach the heart of, of atheists. And we need to very kindly and lovingly show them the true God of Scripture through our lives and through His Word. Amen? I even want to say, Lord, thank, thank the Lord. I'm in the movement that answers one of the greatest movements of man in modern times. Praise the Lord that by the grace of God, we have been committed with the answer to that movement. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for this opportunity. And uh, what a beautiful thing that You were not surprised by anything, but that You are willing to draw near to those who are willing to draw near to You. So we're drawing near to You today. We pray that You'll empower us and equip us this week to answer the arguments of the atheists, not to win an argument, not to push them around, but to show them love and kindness and to show them who you really are. That's our prayer today, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio2021 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.